This is the Galway Podcast. Hello, who are you and what do you do? Hello, I am uh, Rory Lehman, so I'm the tourism officer here in Galway City Council. So my job is to kind of develop and work with the tourism industry here in Galway to grow and make it bigger and bring as many people as we can to this lovely city. Your job's done for you, isn't it? It's, it's yeah, I'm probably a bit luckier than some of the other tourism officers in some of the smaller counties that don't get as many visitors. We're, we're kind of lucky in Galway that we have that year-round kind of level of tourism, that there's visitors coming from January straight through to December, various different, there's always something happening. And that's what makes Galway so great. I always say this. My father says to me before I moved to Galway, he says, there's one problem with Galway. I says, what's that? It's only got one festival. And I said, what? He said, it starts on the 1st of January and finishes on the 31st of December. Yeah, like that, from a festival point of view, there's just, there's never a bad time to come to Galway. Like we're, we've got a brand new festival starting in the next couple of weeks with the Tunta, the new kind of festival that's taking place over the St. Bridget's weekend. Then we'll be straight into Paddy's Day, then we're into Corch, then we're into the Theatre Festival, then we're into the Film Flat, then we're into the Arts Festival, then we're into the Races, then we're into, you know, it, it keeps on going. Food on the Edge is back again in Galway this year. We've got the Christmas Market that only just finished there in the last couple of weeks. So there's always something happening. And, you know, out there, just the major festivals, then there's something like this. There's the sessions that are going on. There's, there's all these small little micro festivals and micro events that take place throughout the city. So... That's what makes Galway great. And I think we're lucky. You know, we've 25,000 students living here in the city. So we've a, a seven days a week of nightlife, seven days a week of things going on. So the students are out kind of Sunday to Thursday. We've got then the weekend busy. So no matter what day of the week you're in Galway, there's something happening. There's a great atmosphere around the place. Like just walking down Shop Street or Key Street and you have the buskers playing. The, that atmosphere, like when people ask me what makes Galway special, it's kind of hard to put it into words because it's just that atmosphere that the city creates that's just spectacular and people just enjoy it. And when you ask them what they like about Galway and they just go, just Galway's great. Like this, there's so much going on. You know, it's hard to capture that atmosphere and that experience that people have here in Ireland. And the friendliness of the people is probably one of the biggest selling points. People here just want to have a chat. <laughs> so whenever somebody lands in Dublin at the airport or Shannon or whatever, what are the main cities that they hit? So generally, like the visitors that come to Ireland would visit Dublin, obviously gets the biggest numbers because it's got the biggest airport. We're seeing a lot of growth from Shannon in the last few years, especially like we've got a lot more direct flights from the US, so there's direct flights with Delta, like from Chicago and places like that. So we're seeing those direct flights that people coming into the West. So we know if people land in the West Coast of Ireland, they spend a lot more time in the West. So I, I much prefer when people fly into Shannon or into Knock because I know they're going to spend more in our local economy here on the West Coast of Ireland. When people travel into Dublin, there's either the city breaks that they stay in Dublin and they're just coming in for a couple of days of business or whatever else. But for most visitors, they tend to do that Dublin to Galway route. So that is the most probably visited route from a visitor that they tend to, to go to Dublin and then head straight across to, to, to Galway. And then that's the big decision of you go north or south. The vast majority of visitors head south and they head towards the Kerry area, do the Ring of Kerry in that way and loop back around into Dublin and fly out again. Less visited is the people who head from, um, head to Galway and head north up through Connemara, up through Mayo, up towards Donegal and into Northern Ireland and back that, that route. So that's the kind of the lesser visited side of Ireland. But generally, we're very lucky that whichever route people take, they tend to start at Galway. So we're the starting point when people... You know, the ones that managed to escape. Many people have came and visited Galway and they've been living here now for 20 or 30 years. That just to be, tends to happen to people in Galway, especially the artists and whoever that, that pass through and then they forget to leave at the end of it. But we're very lucky in that sense that the, we are very much on the tourism map. But when people leave Dublin, they head straight across the country, they head to Galway and they start exploring proper Ireland then from that side. But still, the preference would be that they fly into Shannon. Is that correct? Well, from our perspective, um, from the, you know, I know that a visitor who flies in to Shannon will spend much more time on the west coast of Ireland. So they'll spend more days and nights here. So from an economic point of view, I know I'll probably get more bed nights, mm. you know, the boring side of my job. Mm. And if we can get more bed nights, that creates more employment, that creates more jobs here in local economy. So 
generally, if we can see people flying into the west coast of Ireland, is more beneficial. We know from a from an economic point of view, and that's what we're all about. So, two questions coming out of there for me is: Are you in conversations with the airline industry to try and make that more popular destination? The roles of various different people involved in this process. So like Tourism Ireland, who would be the overseas marketing body for Ireland, who would be, do a lot of route development um, and they would do that. So we might support them in terms of bringing journalists in and getting that story out there around Galway and the west coast of Ireland and destination. My influence over the airlines would be fairly limited where they would have uh, potentially budgets to support them in marketing campaigns or activities. If there's a route there that we work with, we might work with the airport or we might whatever else to promote those routes or to to get our industry over to those destinations to make sure that we're selling and those routes are busy. Because the worst thing that happens if you get a new route, we put a lot of you know time and effort into it and then that route falls away. So making sure those routes are success is where we can help out. So, mm. uh, But in terms of route development, we wouldn't have a huge role as local authority in that side of things. And the second question I had out of there was, are you developing roads to the north? Because <laughs> I'm speaking from a selfish point of view. I, my family's in Derry and my goodness, I've hit Google Maps, you know, the button for that. And I go through, God knows what I'm going through to get up there. So, I mean, I've been a bit more clever lately that I punch in, okay, I'm going to go to Sligo now instead of just going to Derry, you know. So um, anyway, are you in conversations where you can develop the road in a better way up north? There's, again, so that looks, again, of my role within the local authority, I work for Galway City Council, so I don't want my visitors going outside of the city anyway. Right. I want to spend all their time here and put, spend all their money in our, you know, restaurants and pubs, and that's that, my kind of role. Fulcher Ireland would have that role in terms of developing things such as the Wild Atlantic Way, and they're looking at where's our oversaturated, and they look outside now. Galway, down towards Kerry, is a much more busier route where there's much more room for development in the Galway, Mayo, Sligo, Donegal route. So they would have a campaign around pushing people up north from Galway and sending people on that route that loops in mm. to Northern Ireland, that connection between the kind of Causeway route and the Wild Atlantic Way and trying to combining those two into a one visit. So while it's not particularly my focus, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't want them to leave at all. Yeah. I, I don't mind them taking day trips out to the Aran Islands or Connemara, but I, well, want them, back. I want them back in the evening. Like. Because, you know, anytime I go through Bundorn, I just think, oh, here it is. You've probably heard it. The Las Vegas of Donegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, a whole, there's a whole story there. So as tourism officer for Galway City Council, what are your biggest challenges? We see like the tourism industry has recovered very well since COVID um, and we're get, going through various different challenges at the moment. So we are a supporting role. My role is to support our businesses and, you know, try to benefit them as much as we can. So I work with, say, festivals. I'll help fund them. I'll help them, you know, develop, grow and promote themselves and things like that. I probably our biggest challenge is in terms of our accommodation. We are at full capacity. Um, for a lot of the summer so it's opportunities and how we can develop that and how we can grow our visitor numbers the chat one of the other big challenges is trying to fill that gap in the in the winter time so you know if we grow our capacity in the summer we're still going to have less of capacity in the winter so we need to have that year-round level of of employment there so if you know if you're working in a job in tourism you don't want to be laid off for six months of the year because the season is over so we want to have that 12 month and that's my primary role is to fill that gap and to get um, that gap covered. Mm -hmm. You mentioned there about uh, the students. You've got 25,000 students uh, living in Galway. Do we know how much percentage that is of Galway? Well, the population of Galway, I think at the last census, was just in around the 90,000. Okay. And so, you know, we have a very large student population here in the city, um, which is you know hugely beneficial for us from an economic point of view and that's why we see the med tech hub and things like that developing here we have such a strong sector in terms of um growing the the education levels of the students that we have here that they're ready to go into these big med tech jobs and these engineering jobs that we have throughout the city and this all adds to our uh, economy here and allows us to have the strong restaurant scene that we have and i know you've had jp on recently on the show and you know 
these all stems from this high education system that we have here and that allows us to draw in that foreign direct investment which creates the jobs which creates the service you know all supports into the hospitality industry and feeds into that so like all our you know the various different elements of our economy all work together to allow us to have the range of pubs and the range of restaurants the range of kind of experience for visitors to to enjoy while they're here which all adds up and makes my job a lot easier and in terms of tourists how many tourists do we get so it's it's a challenging one and um, because we get national figures and then we get kind of regional figures so the last um figures that we have for tours for Galway has around 2.7 million visitors so that's around 1.6 international and 1 million domestic which has us as the number two destination after Dublin uh, for international visitors and we'll kind of be number one destination again outside of Dublin for domestic visitors so Galway is definitely very much on the tourism map um in terms of that but I think because there's so much to do in the city you don't get that level of overcrowding that you have in some kind of other uh, tourism cities around the world. Like we don't have that experience here within Galway. You can get that quiet pub and get a snug in Nocton's or whatever it might be for, you know, to to enjoy your time here. So we don't have that, thankfully, that kind of overcrowded feel when you're here in the city, which is great. And how do you collect those numbers then? They'd be collected nationally by through the CSO or through Fulch Ireland okay. in terms of that. So it wouldn't be one that we'd be able to manage here but uh, they've kind of moved to more of a regional uh, collection of that data so which is challenging from our perspective because we're obviously looking at i my role is in the city and it's hard to do that so i would look a lot at occupancy levels so the occupancy level within the hotel if i know it's above 90 95 you're kind of almost at full occupancy whereas you know if we look at this time of year we're around the 60 65 so i know our hotel space that's always a good measurement of where we're doing kind of in terms of our visitor numbers. And how do you personally collect that data from the hotels? Is that sent there's, to you? There, there's uh, organizations that you kind of, you can pay for those reports and things like that. So the hotels would feed in to these and it helps them. They would get that data as well, but we can. So I get that data sent to me. And Brilliant. So can you, I assume there's a, there's a bit of a bell curve and a few peaks outside of that. Yeah, yeah. So like the, we would see our tourism season really kick off from around St. Patrick's Day. Those Easter holidays is kind of when the tourism season picks up and we don't see much of a drop until October. Wow. Now things are changing slightly, you know, and we're seeing this season really being extended. November is becoming busier. Like, and yes, the numbers do drop. Obviously, July, June, July and August would be our busiest period. September is always a busy period this year with the Notre Dame uh, Navy American football game that took place in Dublin brought a huge amount of visitors here to Galway. So there's always different events that may make, you know, a week in September suddenly as busy as their busiest week in, in August. So, uh, but yeah, we, we are very lucky in Galway in terms of our visitor numbers that we are consistently throughout the year. So um, we just need to grow that kind of period or in, in around the kind of October through to, March, April kind of period. That's where I'd be looking at to see how we can expand our offering there and how we can develop our tourism experiences. And that's probably where we're at our challenge. Um, we don't have as many indoor visitor attractions here in Galway as we would like. So we're looking at a few different experiences and how we can kind of grow them and improve them. So at the moment, we're working on a 10 million uh, investment into Galway City Museum to really expand the offering and double the size of that. We've just opened a new med tech kind of experience where we're working with the uh, med tech businesses here in the city and the university to tell that story of how the central role that Galway plays in the development of a lot of the uh, medical devices around the world. And, you know, Galway is by far one of the biggest hubs. Like a hard rock cafe of med tech. Exactly. So that's just one, one of the exhibitions that's currently on in the museum. But there's always kind of a rotating uh, stories there. And there's definitely more we can do with them in terms of that development. So that, that we're hopefully going to be moving that through the planning process this year and be able to open that uh, very soon. We're developing an outdoor museum that's going to tell the story of our waterways. So that's what we're hoping to have in place by March of this year. And that's going to bring people on walking trails from 
spreading visitors around the city and bringing them up along the river walk and the canal walk right towards Salt Hill and just informing them of what they're seeing and what they're what they can um, learn from our waterways and how the city grew around our kind of river and canal network that we have here. Um, there's another development happening up on the on the river Carob. So we're developing a new water sports hub at the old uh, waterworks building on the Dyke Road. And this is part of a blue way strategy that we're looking to develop in the city to get people more engaged on the water in the canals and on the river and kind of getting people out there kayaking. And um, so we'll have now a new changing facility there that will allow people to kind of to go on guided tours and work with the operators that are already delivering the service. But now we'll have some services there for the for the customers so that, you know, they're not getting changed in the car on the side of the road that there might be a toilet there for them. They can leave their valuables in a locker. So, again, that's another one that we're working with with Fulcher Ireland. We have another development that we're hopefully going to public consultation in the next uh, couple of weeks, and that's on the development of uh, Woodkey Park. So this is a new park that we're hopefully going to open up onto the River Carob and expand on it. And we're working with Fulcher Ireland. There's over a €1 million Euro investment going into this park to open it up and make it a kind of more of an attraction within the city. And again, it's about drawing people away from that hub along Key Street and spreading them out bring them into places such as the college or up towards Wood Key. And some one of the future projects is development of the Wood Key Plaza. So we've done some temporary works recently in terms of closing off streets during the summer periods. And that's something that we'd like to expand and increase our pedestrianized areas within the city. And Wood Key and around the West End have been very successful in terms of that. And these were measures that came in during COVID and we've been trialing them and it's how can we can develop them further. So there's a huge amount of investment going in there. There'll be a lot more new experiences coming along. Our big and slightly longer term project that we're working on is the redevelopment of Leisureland. And some people may not know Leisureland, but it's a it's kind of our public pool and events center here in Salt Hill. Um, and it, you know, there's a concert on there last night. There's various different concerts. Trad and the Prom performed there throughout uh, the year. But it's definitely it's 50 years old this year or well last year sorry um and you can tell when you when you're in there so we're kind of at that stage where we need to redevelop it and the original plan for that site was a much bigger project and as funding at the time wasn't quite there they developed half the site and some of the other sites we kind of use as temporary and so there's amusements come in during the summer around the part of the site and we're not maximizing what we can do on that site. So we're looking and starting a public consultation process um, this, you know, this month um, on the development of that site. And we're looking to see how we can bring the Leisureland for its next 50 years. At Salt Hill Media, we record the life stories of older people as a gift for their future generations. We appear to be the only organization on the island of Ireland providing this service. What does that look like? An older person sits and answers questions about their life stories. For instance, what were their holidays like as children? Where did their parents meet? And what were their jobs? Where's their final resting place? And what about their parents? And so on. This is a perfect gift for people who hit another milestone. For example, a retirement gift, entering a new decade, a significant wedding anniversary, or it could just be a regular gift. The clever thing about this is that it is a time capsule to be enjoyed for future generations to come. Some people say, but my life story is not that interesting. It is interesting to those who follow after you. Other people remark, I could do this myself. We say, and so you should. However, more often than not, these life stories do not get recorded. So we advise that you go to salthillmedia.com and book a recording session for three months time. If in three months time, your recording has not happened, then we will do that for you. 
Go to saltillmedia.com today to book your live recording. Thank you. This is the Galway Podcast. The thing about that, that Leisureland site or the complex, you say not many people will know it. Not many people know how important that place is. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I've been coming here since I was an infant. And Leisureland was the biggest draw for me to Galway from age one through to, I'd say, all my teens. Yeah, like there's around 3,000 kids learn to swim in Leisureland a week. So it's a huge part of the fabric of Galway in terms of if you speak to the majority of the people of Galway, they probably learn to swim in Leisureland. So that swimming pool is crucial to, you know, whatever we do on that site. But that doesn't mean we can't do other things. And as you said, you, you know, most people know it from their childhood and whatever else. So our public consultation is actually starting in the primary schools. Mm. and asking them what they would like to see because yeah it is a longer term project we haven't got the funding yet for it so it will be possibly the the school kids who will be using this and it'll be their children in 10 15 20 years time that will be potentially the people using this new site so what kind of experience would they like to see there now that's not there and how we can develop that further. So that's like, that's probably the most exciting project that we have because between Salt Hill, the Leisureland site and Salt Hill Park, there's around 13 acres there. Mm. It's quite a big site in terms of what we have the potential to do. And the swimming pool at the moment is probably the best view in the country. Overlooking the burn, you know, overlooking Galway Bay. Mm-hmm. It's probably not the best, like the best use of a view. Mm-hmm. Does the swimming pool need to have a view? Most people are in the water anyway. They can't see out it. So, like, we can definitely use that site much better. And that's something that we're, we're very excited about, how we develop that. Okay. That's intriguing. That's, mm. uh, that's uh, making me wonder, what, what, what do you have in mind? To, to move the pool to the back and, or break up the window? Or <laughs> what are you thinking of? Like, we know, like, between the couple of hotels that are there and, you know, the cinema and stuff, there is potential to go... Uh, underground in terms of that we can put park above it so we can increase the park size oh my god i'm just thinking about the floods that are happening we don't have like those those particular buildings and whatever else we don't have that issue now there is a big flood defense scheme taking place and being developed for the city in relation to that so all of that's going to be built in obviously and we'll be looking at how we develop that but we can develop that site much better and we can put a like use the roofs and put stuff underground or potentially move it into the back corner of the site develop that site better so we i like what i would like to see is a big visitor attraction that would draw people into the year round with an indoor kind of experience that will become one of the major attractions what that is we're still not sure yet there's various different ideas kind of floating around and hopefully we've gone to the people with the biggest imaginations in the city that aren't going to be worried about budgets and concerns like that. And we hopefully will gather quite a lot of ideas from that kind of consultation that's going to take place in the schools. They're not going to worry about grown up problems. We can deal with that a bit later, but now we're at the, the gathering stage and looking to get as many ideas in place. And we're working with the college on that kind of consultation. So, to, you know, we'll see how that develops in the next few years and see what ideas come out. And then hopefully we'll be applying to the government for funding and, might have to get some private funding in or we don't know yet but there's going to be it's an exciting project and i think the big one in terms of the long term of how tourism will develop in salt hill and for the city in general i'm being reminded of two conversations i've had in the past with um local galway heroes i'll call them one is with kevin lynch the coastal geomorphologist he works in university. If you think about coastal geomorphology, what is it? It's looking at the coast and how it changes and uh, landscape and so on. But he talks about how nature has a great way of reminding us humans who's the boss. So we build all our defenses and all the rest, but nature is just going to be saying, uh, actually, they're maybe not going to be a match for my power. So do you liaise with the likes of these people who are able to give um, very good expertise whenever it comes to natural defences? Yeah, and, um, well, I think people would be delighted to hear that I have 
no say in any of that kind of work. Um, that is well outside of the tourism officer's remit. But my colleagues who are working on the flood defences, and we have a colleague who is working on a, a great project in one of the beaches in Salt Hill in terms of a natural flood defence and building up the sand dunes well, area. He's, he's, he's a total champion of the sand dunes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So my colleague was working on that and did a lot of vegetation and it worked very well during Putting the last... Putting the fences around Kind of flooding the fence. Well, yeah. it was, the fence was just to protect, I think, the development of that sand dune, but that worked. Yeah. During glass. Now, yeah, the sand dune got, I think, damaged during it, but that's what it's meant to happen. And now it regrows and we continue to grow that process. Yeah. So I know uh, there's quite a lot of that process being developed by the more the science side of the, the council and the flood defense side. You, like I thankfully will have no input yeah. in how that's developed. Nor and I me. think I should stay as far away from it as possible. And probably I, even what I've said and half the stuff I've just said there probably doesn't make sense. It's something, but it's something in and around that that's taking place Good. Um, within there. So yes, there is a lot of development and engagement in yeah. terms of that. And there's a huge amount of public consultation on any of these process. So there will be a huge amount of experts and environmental experts go into development of these processes and what that might be. And I think they're about to come out with various different options. But again, most of it will thankfully go over my head. I will deal with whatever your my bo- area yes. and let someone else worry about the yeah. technical side. You fill your box. Yeah, exactly. Like. Yeah. I'm reminded by another conversation I had, which was with Jim Higgins, the heritage officer. And he was talking about the balance between the need for Galway City to develop uh, into a thriving city of the future and also the heritage that it has from the past. What can you say about that relationship? Yeah, no, like and the heritage and the history of Galway is what makes us kind of special and unique with like the waterways project where the outdoor kind of museum that's going to tell the story. That's about embracing our kind of heritage and building those kind of features in and telling those stories. So while we need to protect our heritage, we also need to tell those stories. So, you know, inform people of what they're looking at, whether they're at the Spanish arch or looking at the city walls or if it's the Browns doorway that's up. How have these things came to be here? Why are they here? Why are we protecting them? And it's that part of education that I think allows us to protect more of these things because people will embrace it more. So like at the moment, I'm working very closely with St. Nicholas's Church which is in its 703rd year now of existence. And they're, they're planning and working on how they're going to be there for the next 700 years. And that's just, that, that building is like probably one of my favorite uh, places to visit in Galway. It's got such a rich history. And every corner you go to and every, everything, every stone in that building has a story to tell. And it's how we tell that story and how we engage with that church. And at the moment, they're doing a project where they're taking the plaster that was put up in the 50s on the wall that over the stonework, because at the time they thought that was a great thing to do. We now know they're blocking in a lot of moisture and probably doing more damage. So it's about removing that and, you know, using our knowledge of today to protect that building. And that, like those things, these things change over time. The museum project that we talked about will see people being able to visit the Spanish arch and go up on top of the Spanish arch and look down onto the river and like have people visit some of our sites. So at the moment, the Spanish arch, you take a photograph of it. Now you're going to be able to go up onto the Spanish arch and look at the view that they would have had of the clad and imagine what the city walls would have looked like and looking over into where all those the really, Irish people lived in the clad. And, you know, that's really exciting. And how would they gain access to the top? So the development of the museum will see a new building being built behind where the Spanish arch is between the museum. So it's kind of a gap there at the moment between the kind of restaurant and apartment building and the museum. And that building will go in there that will bring people up through Comerford House and onto the uh, Spanish arch. So, so you have to go into the museum to gain access to the top of the Yeah, arch. yeah, it'll be part of the museum. So the whole thing will be part of the museum experience. That's so. a brilliant Yeah, idea. no, it's a really exciting project. Like there's yeah. a lot of work been going on in development of this because... As you can imagine, we're working with two protected buildings here in terms of the Spanish Arch and the Comerford House and the area around that. So it's how we embrace that and build that and build that in to the design of that. So a lot of that will have a lot of glass floorings in terms of looking at the architectural work that's gone on there and where the city walls used to be and all of that. So like I think it's very much we got to engage in our heritage and tell that story to as many people as possible because that's... When you go to a city, when we visit anywhere, that's what we want to know about. 
that's mm. the experience that people are looking for. And we need to do a better job of telling that story. And that's myself and Jim's kind of role is how we can get people engaged with that. And um, we know that that will lead to a better visitor experience. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. I love the idea that you can only access it from through the museum because that's going to force a lot of footfall into the museum. Well, like I, at the moment, like there's no there's no real other way to get up unless you were to put a stairs on the outside. So like mm-hmm. I think you have to go in through the Comerford House building. That building has to be developed and whatever else. So I think it makes sense to put it all into the museum experience. Mm-hmm. It's not about kind of driving through the museum. It's about how we can bring a site such as the Spanish Arch into use. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of other sites like that that we're probably not engaging with as well as we should. And it's about trying to draw down as many funds as we can to open as many of these places and engage with them properly. You seem to be quite good, I'm talking about you as, the, as in the council, in terms of uh, reaching out to the city and asking for their advice on certain aspects of development. Yeah, like <laughs> like public consultation can go <laughs> one, you know, a couple of different ways. But yeah, it's a very important part of what we do. And how You're we, laughing there. Does that mean you've seen fistfights or anything? Oh, yeah, like sure. <laughs> if you ask 10 people what they think of, it depends on what the topic will be. When it comes to something such as the flood defences, I'm not going to understand as much of that. So, you know, the feedback, it depends on what the project is how much people can engage with it and how much, you know, people can understand it and whatever else. So like, but yeah, if you ask the public any questions, you're going to get 10 different opinions on yeah. what that'll be. And, you know, it can be a frustrating process at times and it can be a great process at times. It just depends. So like, I'm very interested to see what the, the kids come back from the engagement in terms of the Leisureland site and what the difference that's going to be when we start engaging with more the adult community within the city and see the, the various differences between what the, the kids are telling us and what the adults are telling us. Cause it's probably one of the newer projects where we're starting off dealing with a younger age and seeing what consultation is going to be like from that age group. And you know, it's, there's always different ways to try this and how we can engage with people better, um, in terms of these projects and how we develop them more and more. I'm being reminded of a situation where the principal I used to work in a school and the principal asking the parents, a show of hands, please. How many of you think that we give too much homework? A third of the audience put their hand up. How many of you think that we should give more homework? A third of the audience put their hand up. And how many think that we give just the right amount? And then a third put their hand up. So there's that. You can never be, you know, something for everybody. Exactly. And, you know, it's like the projects will affect everyone differently. So, you know, mm. like it's fair enough for someone who lives closer to a project to have more concern over it, whereas a person who lives further away sees it as fantastic. So it's mm-hmm. everyone's story is different and there's no it's impossible to. Like I've been there in the council since 2019, I have not ever delivered a project that's been universally loved mm-hmm. and I don't think that exists. Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be some sort of compromise yeah, that takes yeah. place. You were talking earlier about St. Nicholas's Church. I just want to alert people who are listening to this that I did a whole episode on St. Nicholas's Church with Jim Higgins. And he was actually talking about the render of the 1950s and trapped in moisture and they had to, it was the technology of the time and they didn't think that it would be an issue. Now I want to take you back to the more recent conversation where you're talking about the Spanish arch and then walking over towards the Tlada, is it, isn't that Wolftone Bridge it's called? Yeah, yeah. So where are we, what's happening there? Is there a foot bridge being, uh, being erected on the far side or what's happening Yeah, there? so there's a new uh, cantilever kind of pedestrian bridge that will be on the side. So similar to what we have on the other side of the bridge. Mm-hmm. So the pedestrians will now be just put on the other side of the wall and just be a safer kind of mm-hmm. and better experience and it'll bring it in to kind of the West End, which is being developed quite a bit in the last while. So we've kind of done a lot of public realm works there in around Ravens Terrace and Dominic Street. That opens up the canal route, which were is new active travel route, kind of encouraging people kind of to cycle and walk. It's a beautiful route up along the canal. It's probably not one that we explore enough um, as Galwegians, never mind, um, as visitors. So it's definitely one that we're trying to encourage people on. There's a lot of works and just trying to kind of, again, make it as safe as possible for people to engage with our public spaces and public realm and the crossings in and the west end has kind of been you know revolutionized in the last kind of 15 to 20 years i think um 
in terms of and it's probably where we have seen a huge growth in the kind of restaurant scene there's some fantastic pubs down there and it wasn't a place that would have been as visited in the past and now is probably one of the hotspots kind of within the city and we're seeing a real great nightlife there in terms of you know some fantastic music venues at Monroe's or Roisin Dove there's some the amazing yeah the crane like the, some of the best trad music that you're going to get in Ireland but like I think you've had Angus on here as well mm-hmm. so yeah. like with T. Coley's like we have unbelievable traditional music here in Galway but like in restaurants seen in the West End we've got the likes of Della we've got Town Burger, we've got Inir, our Mission Star kind of restaurant, uh, Oscars, which is a fantastic fish restaurant, Delia Tasca. So there's a wide range of stuff all within around the space, around three or four streets. And the public realm work is just kind of allowing people to explore that area um, a bit better. And that's one of the uh, parts of the city that we trialed the closure of streets during the kind of evening times to allow pubs and restaurants to spill out and engage and animate kind of our public realm and that's one that I'd like to see developed a bit further and seeing can we make some permanent changes down there and in terms of anybody who's interested in opening a restaurant or a bar how difficult is it and what support is there from the council um like it's it is definitely a challenging time in terms of the restaurant sector and things like that like there is bit of a cost of living crisis that we're seeing the cost of kind of doing business going up in terms of energy uh, prices in terms of the supply of kind of food and things like that all those prices probably all linked in around the energy kind of issue that's happening worldwide is seeing the cost of kind of doing business going up so it is definitely a challenging time in terms of SME Um, in terms of working with the council uh, we have a Leo office so our local economic um, office that engages with SMEs and supplies various different funding supports and trainings and kind of business development works for those kind of smaller um, networks. And then you can, like, for a lot of those businesses, then you move on to kind of working with Enterprise Ireland and things like that. But the first port of call is through the Leo office, which does a huge round of kind of business trainings and mentoring and various different workshops and supports throughout the year and there's various different grants available whether it's online trading or things like that so you know that there's a huge amount of support um there in terms of that Mm. at salt hill media we record the life stories of older people as a gift for their future generations We appear to be the only organisation on the island of Ireland providing this service. What does that look like? An older person sits and answers questions about their life stories. For instance, what were their holidays like as children? Where did their parents meet? And what were their jobs? Where's their final resting place? And what about their parents? And so on. This is a perfect gift for people who hit another milestone. For example, a retirement gift, entering a new decade, a significant wedding anniversary, or it could just be a regular gift. The clever thing about this is that it is a time capsule to be enjoyed for future generations to come. Some people say, but my life story is not that interesting. It is interesting to those who follow after you. Other people remark, I could do this myself. We say, and so you should. However, more often than not, these life stories do not get recorded. So we advise that you go to salthillmedia.com and book a recording session for three months' time. If, in three months' time, your recording has not happened, then we will do that for you. Go to salthillmedia.com today to book your life recording. Thank you. This is the Galway Podcast. You mentioned their energy and the crisis. What steps are being made towards green energy? Um, within the council, there's new kind of climate action team. We're looking at various different kind of projects in terms of around sustainability and things that can be doing. There's a hydrogen hub uh, being opened up in the port. And I know there's a lot of uh, stuff going on around offshore wind energy 
and the development of Galway Port in and around the development of that. Um, I'm not 100% sure. I'm not you know, overly involved in any of those kind of projects. But it's definitely a huge amount of work that's going on there. Where I'm involved is working with kind of like so the festivals and things like that and how we can make them uh, more sustainable and what uh, different practices that we can do in terms of working with the festivals and seeing how we can you know, reduce the amount of waste and the damage that we're doing. So say in Air Square this year, we installed various different power outlets for the likes of the Christmas market and the Galway Arts Festival so we can remove the need for diesel generators and generators to run these events and people can work off the mains powers, which can be generated through uh, green energy and using kind of the offshore wind that we're, we're growing uh, capacity from, from throughout the country. So we're working a lot with the industry in terms of how we can support them to be more sustainable. You know, we are very good here in terms of Galway, in terms of the industry, and we're seeing a huge amount of work, like the Connacht Hotel has done an incredible amount of work around its sustainability and around its green team. Um, a lot of the other hotels are working on that, and they're working on their different accreditations in terms of their sustainability. And that's a kind of an index that we work with, which is the Global Destination Sustainability Index, which we want to keep Galway scoring up. So we're keeping on working on various different ways to make the businesses more sustainable and how we can encourage them to have more green initiatives. And my role is in terms of tourism officers working with like the festivals, the hotels, the tourism industry to see what the best practice would be. And I know like during your chat with JP, you talked about kind of sustainable farming and how we can work with our local suppliers here. So things like such as the Galway Market, which the city council uh, operates, is about bringing those kind of local um, food producers in here so they can sell to to local people and giving them a platform to sell their produce. And we're working on a festival called Blosnagaliev, which is, again, about telling that story of food that's made locally, sold locally. Our restaurants are buying in and working with local producers and doing that. So we're, we're definitely making an impact in terms of our sustainable and climate action and climate uh, emissions and things like that. Very good. I'm being drawn back to the part there about the 25,000 students, the 2.7 million tourists that flood in here annually. And then I'm wondering about the housing situation. What do you want to say about all of that? Yeah, so like the way kind of things are working at the moment is new legislation coming in through Fulcher Ireland, uh, the tourism uh, national authority body that is looking at how the planning legislation and how we can register the kind of Airbnbs to make sure that we have that planning process in place and that people who are letting out kind of properties in Airbnb are doing so within a proper planning network and that uh, role is there. And I, I do see a role for kind of short-term lettings um, within the tourism and the sector, but it's about that should be properly planned in that process. So, so people, there's an argument there that Airbnb is driving up the price of rent because... Well, like, we'll call them short-term lettings because Airbnb okay. is just... Yeah, a, thank you, you, know, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's other services available. Yeah. Um, so short-term lettings are driving up the rent because why would anybody want to rent out a space whenever they can do it on a short-term basis for a higher amount of money? And I fully understand that argument, but there should be planning processes around that. and you should. So need what to, can happen? So at the moment, they're saying that if you don't have, like at the moment, you should not be allowed to let short-term lets unless you have the proper planning in place to do that. But it's a very hard one to manage. So they're putting in a structure in place where people will need to register their properties with Vulture Ireland to allow them to short-term let. And uh, where they're putting the emphasis on is on the websites and the selling agents, such as the likes of Airbnb and other uh, booking.com and places like that, that they can only work with accredited properties that have planning permission to allow them to do short-term let. So that hopefully is going to be coming in place very shortly. I think the legislation is going through uh, the doll at the moment. So once that's in place, then there'll be a proper register and we'll be able to be control that sector so a bit a better. There could be a ceiling on the amount of properties that are approved. Well, again, that like that would be part of the planning permission process. So people mm. will have to apply and make sure that they have the proper planning in place before they do that. And yes, there are some properties that are being used for short term less that probably aren't suitable mm-hmm. for that. And they would be better serving seeing the people as long term lets. So that's, you know, it's about managing that process. And that's a key part of the planning process and the tourism 
uh, sector would welcome that, I believe. Like it's, you know, we have a lot of hotel rooms and whatever else available and that's what development is. And if that means we need to develop more hotel infrastructure or whatever else to cater for tourism needs, that then we go down that process. But trying to alleviate the, like tourism shouldn't be causing an issue in other sectors by that. And we just need to manage that process better. And that's a role that Galway City Council will have and once that registers in place, we can manage that properly. And that'll be something that our planners will be keen to work on. Imagine if there was green cars available and there's, people could rent a property outside of Galway. So then that means that you're spreading the, the, the economy outwards and you're employing the use of green energy cars. That would be a pretty nice scenario, one would have thought. Yeah, like I, I think there's uh, there's a number of projects that are going on around the cross city uh, bus connects and things like that about looking at how we can improve our public transport with the infrastructure that we have in place at the moment. So that's uh, currently going through the planning commission, and I think you know if we look at kind of some of the journeys that we have in the city and how we can develop our active travel measures and how we can develop our cross city uh, bus network and things like that probably has more potential than looking at, you know, the use of the private cars. So like there's definitely potential for us to develop that because Galway is a very small city in that sense. So like I would cycle into work a lot of the time. There's definitely potential, you know, for our bus routes to be improved. And there's a lot of work going on that. And that. And I think that's where we have the potential to grow. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we need to be looking at. And we're seeing the there's an active travel team within the council that are looking at developing those routes and developing those kind of cycle routes and walking routes and things like that to make it easier for people to avail of public transport and avail of those options. Talk to me about festivals. Well, Galway, you know, we're very lucky in terms of our festival calendar and how many brilliant kind of festivals that we do and the images that they supply us. From my job, you know, one picture of Machnus does does more than I can do in terms of how many millions we could spend on marketing. That imagery that's created from the likes of Mockness and the Galway Arts Festival just is what really sells Galway and what makes it so so special and unique. You know, my I t- think probably my favorite time of the year is that two weeks over the Arts Festival. There's just so much happening. The city just comes to life in terms of the street parades versus live music, you know, talks. There's, there's something there for everyone to encourage. To visit and you know and to enjoy um the likes of the film flower we've seen you know grow and grow over the last few years and you know they've had some great successes in terms of some of the films that have been premiered here and gone on to greater things they bring in such a, a wide range and we're seeing the film industry growing around kind of the likes of the film flower and things like that and Galway is a UNESCO city of films so it's great to see that one growing the Corch the International Festival of Literature like Ireland is probably, uh, you know, one to at a height at the moment in terms of the new uh, writers that it's producing and the current kind of, it's great to see some incredible Irish writers having such success and of course celebrates that and kind of tells those stories and brings, uh, you know, again, such a uh, range of kind of activities going on across the city. The theatre festival, you know, is fantastic. There's uh, some really great Irish uh, playwrights and things like that. And as a theatre man yourself, I'm sure you know many of them or have worked with many of them. And it's great to see these uh, festivals taking place. The St. Patrick's Festival is kind of our community festival in terms of engaging with community. We'll have 3,000 kind of local people taking part in kind of, um, you know, our parade and there'll be different communities, different kind of groups. So it's it's great to see the range of things taking place. Um, throughout the year the comedy festival takes place in kind of october october that leads into the mockness parade so if people are there for that for that week they get a bit of some of the great irish and international comedy and then they get the fantastic street parade of the the mockness parade so like this there's just so much happening in galway the the christmas market brought in a huge amount of visitors and really kicks off kind of the christmas season and you know, brings in a huge amount of visitors into the city during a time when, you know, traditionally it would have been a more quieter period in terms of tourism numbers. So these things are always great in terms of drawing people in. The exciting one that we have coming up is Tunta. So the Irish language uh, festival that's been developed between ourselves and Galia Vlagelga. 
um, and that's going to be taking place over the St. Bridget's weekend and hopefully will become an annual part of our calendar. And that's a festival that we're hoping to engage with as wide an audience as people as possible. So you don't need to be a Gael Gore to attend. There's people like myself who have limited Irish. There's people who are would be new to the country who have no Irish, but they'll still be able to engage with this festival through the visuals, through the subtitles, through various different things. So it's about kind of engaging with the language through the medium of music, theatre, dance, performance. And, you know, I think it's a great opportunity as a bilingual city. We're the only bilingual city in the country. So we have, we've got to own that language and embrace it. And this is festival is kind of just one of the many ways that we're kind of hoping to grow that engagement with the language. It is one of the selling points that visitors uh, get when they come to Galway is the engagement with the language. They see it being spoken. They hear, they hear it uh, being spoken. I mean, they, they see it in the signage and in the things around the town. They, they engage with it when they're out in Connemara or out in the Aran Islands. And, you know, here within the city as well, you see an awful lot of it being spoken. And for the tourists, that's an exciting prospect. And that's what they look forward to. And you mentioned Trad on the Prom. Trad on the Prom is probably the best Irish kind of uh, music show uh, across the country. Um, and that usually operates kind of from around late April through to kind of September. Um, and four or five days a week down in in Leisureland, and you know it's a it's a, an incredible because of the quality of the musicians that they have, all like most of them were kind of founding members of Riverdance or, you know, various different Irish shows that have travelled all around the world. We have world champion Irish dancers taking part, so it, it is the best of the best of kind of Irish music, and it's I've been to a lot of those Irish shows around the country, and is by far the best one. That's a that's a challenging statement to say. I'm thinking of about uh, the flaws, for example. Yeah, well, like the flaws and things would be very different experience to this kind. And so, of, how do they differ? Well, the flaw would be a festival of Irish music is a competitive kind of competition in terms of that, and it would be bringing in for and the flaw would move to various different distances. This is your show, mm-hmm. so it's a show that takes place, you know, on a, on a nightly basis over a five month period. The flaw you need to be there for that week. Mm. You yeah, know, this yeah. is a, an experience for a visitor when they're coming in April, whether they're coming in June or July. So, you know, it's something that they can engage with during their visit. And it's kind of designed around that. Where the FLA, you're specifically going to the FLA. You know what you're going for. You know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. The a Prom is a part of a visitor's kind of holiday. Mm-hmm. But it's not, you know, the only reason why they're traveling. Yeah. in that sense so it's just part of that experience that they can have here in Galway whereas if you're attending a flower or an Oireachtas or things like that that's all you're going for you're mm-hmm. going for an Irish music weekend and you know exactly what you're in store for and you have to be into that kind of stuff whereas the Tradden of Prom will cater for that wider audience that you know know a bit about Irish music or know a bit about Irish dance or I think Irish dance is called river dance you know that kind of wider range of people and they can experience this but it's not their sole objective of their holiday, isn't? They're not just going between Chicoles and the Crane and Traden the Prom, and that's it. Yeah. And you mentioned there about these smaller fringe festivals last year during the Galway International Arts Festival. I tried to get an interview with somebody from there, but admittedly, I did leave it a bit late to approach them um, because the podcast was not long running, so I didn't know the process. So um, I did a see another festival taking place which is called Air Immel and that's set up by a guy called Chris Dignam and he is based largely in Arsenegal Arsenegal yeah. and uh, so he built up this festival uh, in Galway using these smaller venues and it was a, almost like a supplement to the International Arts Festival and a big part of what he was trying to do is to give these smaller acts a chance to shine, but also to develop the skills of the people who who are learning, you know, the technology behind this to put on the shows so they can go to these smaller venues like um, thinking of all 55 hours or whatever. And yeah, 
doing the manning the board, womaning the board, personing the board, whatever yeah, it is, yeah. and getting the skills. So, um, and I just thought I should mention that because there's a, there is a lot of smaller uh, grassroots festivals bubbling up. Yeah, no, definitely. There's things like such as you know, music for Galway and uh, Music Generation, which is working with younger bands and teaching them about the industry and how to do to get involved and how to bringing them up to a level where they they will be able to go out gigging and getting that. And we're working with them over the St. Patrick's Festival. So we'll have a lot of young uh, emerging bands and emerging uh, artists. Most of them would be teenagers that are kind of starting off their journey into the music world because it it's a tough world to get involved with and it's kind of a hard one to make a living out of. So, you know, there's there's different processes there to try to bring people involved in that. And we're working, you know, we will have three days of uh, music in our square over the St. Patrick's where we're working with local bands mm. and engaging with that and we'll work with a local you know producer it won't be me who'll pick which bands will play there because I'm not in that scene we'll get someone from the music indus- industry that will be able to pick out the local artists who are coming up and uh, we'll be able to engage with that and things like that so there's definitely we did a lot of work during COVID when the local live performance scheme about working with the likes of the old 55 and Orson Gale and and venues like that to support them to be able to work with uh, musicians so that, you know, while it mightn't have made financial sense to have music on because the restrictions that were in place and the numbers that were allowed, we were able to support them to allow them to, to provide uh, employment to the musicians throughout that period and, you know, cover the financial risk that they would take in terms of putting on that music. So it was quite a lot uh, support that went in around that and uh, that got channeled through the um, councils in terms of working with uh, venues and developing those venues and seeing how we can do but yeah sure venues and um, that music scene is crucial to the Galway experience you yeah. know people want to go to the likes of the old 55 or to Chicoli's as Langus will be able to uh, talk about and various different others in terms of um and that, that's what visitors want. They expect to walk in and have music playing. So whether it's Marty Rabbits or Pukon or where, any particular pub, visitors do tend to think, oh, every pub has music. And mm-hmm. that's your standard in Ireland. That's what we expect. And, you know, thankfully in Galway, the vast majority do provide that experience. And then if you're not looking for that, you can find the alternatives as well. Fair play. Let's talk about the nighttime economy. Yeah, like we're very lucky um, in Galway in terms of nighttime economy. So, you know, there's a big push and that local live performance scheme that I just talked about was funded around a nighttime economy project. So the government are putting a lot of emphasis on developing the nighttime economy. And we now have a new nighttime economy officer in City Hall that's looking to develop and diversify our nighttime economy. So we have a focus traditionally on the pubs restaurants kind of almost takeaways um as the night develops and it's how we can develop that offering in terms of providing diverse range of activities for visitors to and locals to come into our city center to engage with the economic kind of nighttime economy by offering a diverse range of activities and that might include non-alcohol events or family events that kick off later so this year for the first time we did a bit of a new year's eve event and it was a trial kind of so we kept it relatively uh small but we had a kind of a countdown at eight o'clock on a stage you know we had four stages around the city and it's just about creating that kind of family atmosphere bringing people giving people a reason to come into town and engage in that evening and then hopefully that will lead to a knock-on effect and we'll see a return of the late night shopping and the kind of that and again it's just about providing employment and as we said earlier there's a lot of students in town there's a lot of part-time employment uh, opportunities if we can develop that nighttime offering and offer a more diverse uh, range of activities for people to engage with that will attract a wider audience so at the moment our offering is you know not limited but it's it's targeting at a particular audience when we have opportunities to develop that further and it's working my colleague, you know, she's only, it's a recent role that's been developed. So she'll be working out with a lot of stakeholders to see where the opportunities lie there and running different trials and 
uh, events and things like that. And I think the pedestrianization and all of these things that we talked about earlier, the museum project and maybe keeping that open later and the town hall theater and the program that they have there in terms of the festivals and various different things. It's how we can engage with all of these to make sure that we have a really broad offering within our city that will cater for as wide an audience as possible. Um, and obviously making economic sense in terms of the businesses that are doing it. Whenever you're talking there about Tunta, I was getting excited because I was thinking about how Galway County has a big chunk of it being uh, as part of the Giltacht. So I'm wondering what type of relationship is there between Galway City and Galway County in terms of uh, tourism and the way you work? Yeah, so it'd be a huge amount. Like there is a Gaeltacht areas within the city and we work very closely with the likes of Galia of the Gaelga and things like that in terms of developing, in this case, Tonta, but various other different kind of Irish language initiatives and how we can develop the language further and integrate it within, to, within society more. Um, in terms of engagement with the county council, like I would be meeting with the tourism officer on a regular basis and we have a lot of kind of um, projects that would be city and county base so we're looking at developing our tourism kind of uh communications channels um in terms of nationally like let's be honest no visitor cares where the boundary boundary of the local authority is so that's something that we need to ignore when we're looking at developing our tourism infrastructure and tourism projects so we're working on a blue way feasibility study that we're hoping to publish very soon that's looking at how we can develop the blue way that will go up along river carob into lock carob and will cross the county bound or the local authority boundary at some point. But again, not overly important. We're looking at the Greenway projects and how that develops and the Connemara Greenway and the Atmai Greenway and things like that. So they're all developed and they're all kind of city and county projects. So there's a huge amount of kind of that. Like from, we rely on the county to sell the city in terms of tourism purposes. So the likes of Connemara and the Aran Islands are big selling points for us here in the city and it's the day trips out or the overnights that people might do it or they use Galway as the base. And then there's the Connemara very much needs the city and the Aran Islands and the rest of kind of Galway needs the city in terms of selling their tourism infrastructure products because we would have the accommodation base that can cater for the larger buses and the larger groups and things like that. So we will be able to spread those visitors out to the likes of Castle Cool or right, you know, to Canberra or places like that. So the, the two work in tandem. Um, our industry would be engaged very much so. Camer Abbey is one of the biggest visitor attractions on the west coast of Ireland, never, never mind just Galway. So, you know, I would work very closely with the team there in terms of how we uh, can get our visitors out there and things like that and the experiences. A lot of the bus companies and stuff that are in the city are doing day trips in and out and things like that. So it's they all work in tandem together. They're all sell each other and we work very closely in terms of developing our tourism plans and tourism strategies uh, between the city and county. Very good. I like that. I like that you champion each other and you need each other. It's almost like a symbiotic relationship. Yeah, no, like you can't, a visitor doesn't, you know, there'll be a few, some visitors that are here just on a city break and I will say within the city, but the vast majority of people are looking to explore. So Connemara is obviously a big pull. The Aran Islands are a big pull. The Cliffs of Moher even, like it's, you know, they're all, pulls that people will visit from the city in terms of that Castle Cool is another major attraction all within uh, close distance here within the city. So there's wildlands that's just been developed in Moy Cullen. You know, that's a huge family kind of attraction. And again, it's another pull factor for people to the city and to the county. Um, so, yeah, like they, we need the county to sell the city and we need the, the county needs the city to sell. So it's all part of how we work together and that kind of close relationship exists. I work very closely with the tourism office in the county and you know Falch Ireland again they've got their Gale Talks um, representatives they've got their city representatives and we all work together like we see it as a challenge to get as many visitors into the city and county as possible and the tourism figures that I gave you earlier they're county figures like it's for Galway County it's not broken down between the city and the county because again they all benefit each other mm. and I like even just the tourism industry like I'm sure when you had JP on the produce that we're selling and, the, you know, in our restaurants and whatever else is coming from food producers that are based in the county. A lot of food producers that are selling at the Galway market and, you know, are from the county and things like that. So, again, it's all about working together. 
I'm coming towards the end of our uh, conversation. So what I'm wondering is what makes you happiest in your job? It's always good to see kind of new businesses and new projects kind of getting up off the ground. So like, you know, going through the planning processes and all of that isn't the most exciting things. When you see those projects come to fruition and kind of arrive on the ground. So in the next couple of weeks, we're hopefully going to be opening the outdoor museum. Um, the Blue Way Feasibility Study can be published and we can move on to the next stages of that. So it's developing these projects and kind of delivering them. Is, so, you know, even the Tunta Festival, working on that one over the last few weeks, a new festival that we're able to kind of to grow and see how that grows over the next few years. That's going to be exciting and challenging. Okay, Rory. Rory Lehman, Tourism Officer of Galway City Council. I'm going to say Gordon Meal and Mayogat. Thank you very much, Fender. It's been great being on the show. This has been a Salt Hill Media original podcast and production. This podcast is unfunded. To date, we have not even run ads that generate an income. At Salt Hill Media, we pride ourselves on spreading positivity in a world that we believe can do with it. If you like what it is that we do, then why not support us? You can do so by going to salthillmedia.com and buy us a coffee. Alternatively, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash the Ireland podcast. If you cannot afford to or would prefer not to make a donation, you can support us in other ways by encouraging family or friends to listen. Or you can leave a positive rating on your podcast player. And while you're in there, why not look up Salt Hill Media to see what other podcasts we are producing which may be of interest. Finally, you can follow us on your favourite social media channel. We appreciate all of your support. Thank you. Thank you.